0: Hello and welcome to episode number 165 of the Make It British podcast. Today I'm chatting to UK garment manufacturer Jenny Holloway, who I first featured on this show on episode 21 back in January 2019. So Jenny runs Fashion Enter which for those of you that don't know, and if you're new to listening to this podcast, is a social enterprise that not only makes thousands of garments every week up in her North London factory, but she also runs a training academy teaching people the essential skills that they need to work in fashion production. Now in this episode with Jenny, we catch up on what she's been up to over the last two years, because of course we've had a pandemic in that time. So how she has been making PPE. She's also developed a totally reusable isolation gown, which she's going to be talking to us about, which is really exciting. How she also accidentally set up a new factory in Wales, which now employs over 70 people. And how Fashion Enter have also set up a retail space in London which stocks local designers and startups, and the space offers production facilities as well. So there's no end to the strings in this woman's bow. She's also, like me, from a background in fashion buying, having worked for Marks & Spencers for quite a few years. And she offers great insight in this episode about how she sees the future panning out for those big retailers and what the future holds for garment manufacturing in the UK as well, in terms of on-demand and smart factories and making one-of-a-kind pieces. So really interesting conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Here you go. Over to Jenny. So it was January 2019. I looked it up when we last did it when I last did an interview for the podcast oh, wow. with you episode 21 so I thought well Blimey. on that episode you talked about how you set up Fashion Enter so I thought today we would talk more about what have you been up to in the last two years how have things Changed? How has the pandemic changed? Because we've had a whole pandemic in that time, haven't we? Gosh, I mean, who could have predicted what's happened? I can't believe it's that
1: long. Actually, I can't can't believe that it was January twenty nineteen because that two years has
0: flown by. Where have they gone? But you've done. I know you've done loads. You've opened up a new factory. You've got stuff going on in Leicester. We can talk about. And of course, the PPE. So, should we? Should we get going? Yep. Let's jump in. Right. Well, where should we start then? What What should we talk about first? The pandemic. And PPE, because you really stepped up to the plate, didn't you, with PPE? Tell yeah, me, tell me I mean, what happened.
1: Well, I think, first of all, because we are a social enterprise, the pandemic really struck a chord with everybody within the, in the business. And the thought of our key workers not being protected when they're putting their own lives at risk, I just thought was abhorrent. I just thought it was absolutely dreadful. And then um, we were approached by quite a few retailers asking if we would um, help them support the NHS. And then we also had conversations with your good self, Kate. Um, And it felt actually as though it was a chaotic mess. Um, At at one point, we were talking about being like a mothership and, um, you know, all the work coming to us, and then we would distribute it out because we would have checked all the factories, make sure that it was compliant and ethical. And there were loads and loads and loads of conversations. I think you know that, don't you, Kate?
0: Too many conversations. Um, Too much talking and not enough doing, but you're a real doer.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I was so frustrated. And then I know I was on um, a a Teams meeting with um, somebody that was quite senior in the Cabinet, and they also had – what was the um, consultancy organisation? Deloitte. Oh, my God. I thought that was absolutely rubbish. I'm sorry. I mean, however – However much money they were paid was absolutely the biggest waste of money I've ever come across. To be in a meeting and listen to this gentleman talk about this is how we do it and this is how you work in manufacturing. And I'm thinking, you <laughs> yeah. haven't got a clue. I'm sorry, but you have not got a clue. And and I think at that point I thought this is never going to work. It's too many chefs in the kitchen. Um, and it was only when... Dimensions contacted us, which was an American company, um, and they asked us to work with us directly, which we said yes, of course. Um, that's when we started making the scrubs, and there was a reporter, Simon, from the BBC that literally came and saw the fabric being loaded off, and we made a sample sort of within half an hour. And um, I think I said, and that's exactly why you should be making in the UK. And
0: yeah, I, I really remember that it. clip.
1: Yeah, and I really, I'm not. It's just like, why wouldn't the government support UK manufacturing? Why wouldn't you work with people that need jobs? That brings the multiplier effect into the economy. I mean, I just think it's absurd. I really it didn't do. make
0: any sense, did it? I mean, we were all oh. kind of banging on the door of Boris and Matt and, and his cronies and basically saying, You can make it all in the UK. Why are you flapping around with this PPE? You're making it more complicated. It's, you know, it's a straightforward garment. We've got really skilled people here.
1: Yeah. And we were very lucky because during the course of all those conversations, we came across a a great guy called Mike Dinan, who's one of the procurement managers. And he wanted to be different. He wanted to bring um, a a localized sourcing um, into the equation and also to have a reusable isolation gown. So, up till then, I think the, the PPE was very much um, one-wear disposable, which just seems. I know, made in China.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, it's just, it's just rubbish, isn't it? I'm sorry, but my God. There's a lot, there should be lots of finger pointing on this, but Mike sort of stuck with us. And um, a year later, uh, we've got this amazing isolation gown, which you can wear 70 times, which is equivalent to um, 20p wear. Um, and it, we, we've, we've perfected the style of it, so it's easy to take on, easy to take off. Got an RFID tracker on, so you know exactly how many times you're going to wash it. And we haven't quite got it over the line. We've, we've done a 10,000-unit trial, uh, but uh, we're now in the land of the HSE. <laughs>
0: well, remind everyone 80s. what HSE stands for, for those that don't know all <laughs> of the government acronyms.
1: It's the health and safety executive. And because we've come out of Brexit, so you had to be CE certified. We now have to be CA certified. So we're just going through those tests. Like a year on, we're still going through the tests. But I'll be pretty darn annoyed that a little social enterprise spending 100K over a year period couldn't, for the good of the UK, then start making PPE with others. Like We're not possessive over our development. Now, I look at Leicester... And, and and the decimation of the supply base in Leicester. And we need to step up. And if we don't work collaboratively to support the factory, we're going to lose all those skills again. Yeah. So I think um, the PPE has been a very... Um, intriguing time but it's almost like a snapshotting time because I, I believe and i don't know if this is true but i believe there's so much ppe that has now been imported that there's lots of stockpiling again which is is actually criminal
0: which is crazy and also you just mentioned 20p aware now i remember from all those conversations with deloitte and everyone how much they were spending just on the imported uh, disposable gowns was considerably more than that. It was about 30 times that price for something that was just being trashed as well. So not only are they importing a lot of things that they could make here, but it's also going into landfill. I mean, this is not sustainable, all this. That's what really shocked me. Not only were they not kind of employing people in the UK to make this stuff and they weren't prioritising that, but that they were also prioritising buying disposable products. Well, we
1: were. We also had a contract with Private Weiss, and yeah. uh, Mike Stoll's a great guy. Um, I've known him for absolute years. He's a bit of a go-to guy yeah. um, for me, and we had a really good contract with him, which you know was roughly a million pounds, and that was a complete godsend. I, I don't know if we would have we would have survived without um, Mike's intervention, because obviously, even though internet sales were still on the up. Um, during the uh, during COVID, there was a lot of relaxed wear, and traditionally our handwriting has been a uh, god going out dresses.
0: Yeah,
1: um, so we had to bring in a, a whole new design team on relaxed dressing with new back jerseys, etc. Which we did do. You know, I think the one thing I'm very very proud of with the staff is we were all adaptable, and we kept jumping, and I think that is the benefit of a very flat structure. We do have an advisory board, which I'm very, very thankful for. But to me, the flexibility within our company is what gives us the edge. Yeah. Oh, and we're not afraid either. We're not afraid to fail.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Imagine a failure in our life, <laughs> but, yeah, not afraid to fail. So, it, uh, you know, regarding the PPE, like, you know, for you and many UK manufacturers, that was what kept them afloat over the last 12 months, wasn't it? Because despite yeah, the fact definitely. there was a lot of interest in reshoring products, um the sales just weren't there. I mean, you, you supply a lot of the, the the bigger high street names, don't you, or the online retailers. Do you want to just kind of refresh everyone's memory about who are your main companies you work with or those that you can talk about?
1: Well, we've been 100% ASOS for a long time. Um, and actually, I think that's rightly so. I think loyalty deserves loyalty, in my book anyway. And because they set us up a good 10 years ago now with, with a grant, I've always felt as though it was right that we, we – Rewarded um, that loyalty, and actually, you know, people like Nick Byton, Simon, um, and there's a new lady uh, that's now on um, UK sourcing called Jackie Bremer, and these are really good people. You know, they get it; they understand uh, the flexibility of of flow uh, within the UK. But that that COVID did hurt, mm. and uh, any factory that just doesn't have flow, um, it starts really impacting and as much as we tried to keep the workforce going we just knew we had to diversify yeah and um i think i'm so old now okay you're I'm so, so not i know lots of people <laughs> <laughs> i know lots of people in the industry and i i actually picked up the phone to Shalena, who's now the buying director of Brown. And I just said to her, look, surely, you know, there's an opportunity for Made in the UK. And actually, she was absolutely tremendous. Brilliant. We up, yeah, we had 11 stars straight away. Um, and we performed, you know, the, the whole team got behind a new account. And we, we're quite hopeful that they're going to be at least a third of our production going forward. And then um, Jalal from uh, the CEO of I Saw It First Um we sort of crossed paths and I remember thinking what a genuinely decent guy this man is and and also Leanne the the buying director and then we struck up um, a relationship and just tried to help as much as we could do about making in the UK and now we've got an ongoing account with them and there's a lot of um, mistrust and A, a lot of negativity about the very fast fashion brands, but well, I can only say good things about. I saw it first, and that's the solid truth. Brilliant, um, and the, and the commitment for them to want to help Leicester. So they they gave one hundred and fifty thousand pounds for Leicester uh, when we're going to be opening in the summer. And I just think a lot of people talk. I come across so many people that talk in our industry. And actually, the ones that do, like you, Kate, you are a doer. You can count on your hands. But for Jalal, you know, to write that check out, um, which is all in a separate account ready for Leicester, I thought, yeah, that, that just shows um, decency in
0: my book. So how do you make it work? Because, of course, since we last spoke as well, there's been a lot of, again, bad press about Boohoo and fast fashion and and factories in Leicester. So how do you make it work with retailers like ASOS and I saw it first, and yet there's all those other factories that feel like they have to sort of go under the radar and pay minimum, you know, well below minimum wage. How do you make it work when the dark factories don't?
1: I think it's because we're multi-product and um, we don't just rely on our manufacturing income. I and mean, if you'd have come last week, we had to, when was it, Thursday last week, we had send up the whole of the workforce home. I was absolutely gutted because this time of the year, there's no way that you shouldn't have any of your staff in in the London. We've got three factories in London. And it, there's just no way that should be happening. But it was just one of those times when the fabric was late, something hadn't been sealed, and it just fell in between the, the bricks of the, the, the patio, so to speak. And we had to send them home. But we've got the fashion studio and we've got 74 clients. We've got lovely clients like Louisa Paris with her silks that she's now selling on Netta Porter. We've got um, projects that we do for for the government with the GLA. So we're doing the N17 Creative Callings, uh, which is a half a million pound programme, which is one of the last of the ESF. Doing affordable workspace with Islington where we're going to open incubation unit shortly and we've got a shop on Front Hill Road. So I think it's the diversity um, and, and actually our education is huge, although I'm so so annoyed about the education. So this is so controversial, but I'm gonna say it anyway. <laughs> um, we, we were uh, excelling on our skills, absolutely excelling. We had 100% success rate on our level one awards. Uh, so we take people who are long-term unemployed, people with mental health issues, and they're the people that that are um, the, the reason and motivation for, for us within the company, because we know that we can change lives. And we were having such success rates. We were working with two colleges. Um, very tempting to say the names, but I won't. Um, and we've been working with them for years and years and years as a subcontractor. So you have to be approved by uh, the ESFA. And now the skills... Uh, the um education skills funding agency and then the both of these colleges made a loss and I think it was quite a sizable loss I think it was like a 10 million pound loss approximately and as a result of that they decided that there was no subcontracting going to take place which I understand that's a business decision but we were chopped we were chopped it was like that's it and it's so we we ended up going from you know, roughly half a million pound provision on our fashion technology academy to the big zero. And it didn't matter what I said. Um, you act to be fair, UKFT and John West in particular was very, very supportive. But it's still, it doesn't pay the bills for God's sake. Like we, we've got a whole army of people here on the technical side. So the factories very much covered all the costs um, for that. In the end, I did have to go to uh, the GLA and we spoke to Haringey Council and HALS, uh, Haringey Adult Learning Services, stepped in and gave us a small budget, about 80K, which actually made all the difference and meant that we could pay the, some of the bills. So, you know, we, we're constantly juggling and spinning plates but in a positive way and actually all these projects do align but they all come together because it's at the end of the day it's about creating um product it's about making them it's about being ethical and it all merges into one and we have got excellent staff that carried through on all those particular programs
0: and this is just in your base in london because you started off with the factory fashion inter in north london but you've since as well Develop something in Wales. Do you want to tell us all about that? Do you know what, Kate? The you Wales can have all project. All business
1: plans. <laughs> yeah, so, so this is in new new town in uh, Powys. So um, a great gentleman, uh, Glenn Parker, contacted me out of the blue and said, "I really think you need to look at Wales." Blah blah blah. And I actually thought, "Oh, I'll go to Wales and I have a look at the machinery because whenever a factory closes, you know, you can get yeah. bargains." So I went down and then I was completely uh, overwhelmed by the generosity of this group of Welsh women. I was about eight there on the day and this particular woman, Anwyn, had gone out of way to, to make cakes. And I was I was so touched. And I think this this just shows why we're really a social enterprise. And And I sort of took some garments down with me and I asked them a few questions like how many standard you think this would be and to be fair they were quite accurate and then before I flaming knew it I was saying ladies you know don't don't you worry we're gonna open a factory in Wales and we're gonna make this work (laughs) and there's like no business plan And you just go there to
0: buy the machines
1: it was just the most (laughs) bizarre situation and my husband Tim who actually I've met when I was 15 so he does know exactly what I'm like and I did warn him before I got married like you know, you, you're going to have a roller coaster of a marriage, and I and he just he just couldn't believe it. If I said he was apoplectic,
0: <laughs> so you if you was. haven't got if you <laughs> haven't got enough on your plate in London with all these other projects with the training academy and a big factory, oh, I'll just go and buy a factory in Wales. We went in, It wasn't even an existing factory. It was it had gone into liquidation. Is that right? And you were going to buy the machines, but the yes, staff were right. still there.
1: Yeah, and. Um, We tried to negotiate with the liquidators about staying where we were so we could just get it up and running. But I thought they were absolutely useless. And I don't know, perhaps they thought we were small fly, a fry, because we couldn't, you know, obviously get the two million together to to take over this 17-acre site, which would have been far too big. So then we found a derelict warehouse. I've got a great friend that lives um, in Wales. She's actually a shepherdess, Jean Balmer. (laughs) And she she found this amazing building, but it needed everything being oh done to God, it. Oh God, Jenny! I mean everything. <laughs> so so my husband went down there for um, the best part of three months and just did the whole of the place up. God, love that man! Honestly, amazing. God, God, love that man. <laughs> <laughs> and then we opened in September. And and they're a real rock solid crew. You know the, these people have worked with each other for, for thirty five years. Rachel, the supervisor, forty four years. I mean, wow! Just and this
0: just, was the Laura. Amazing. This was the Laura Ashley factory before it was known as the Laura Ashley factory in Wales. Was it or yes, that's right. That right? Yeah. Well,
1: it was called Text Plan, but that was the actual official name. But it, everyone called it the Laura Ashley um, factory. And. Um, we didn't quite get the numbers that we wanted. We were told that there were ninety to one hundred and fifty machinists available, and I think we got to about seventy-seven. And actually, we have still got thirty positions available, so we catered for that. But we've, we've had a good start, and it's been um, it's been difficult for them because you know they've made a very high quality product previously.
0: Curtains, and now was it? Would it have been
1: curtains, floor, yes, actually, or interior home furnishing? Yeah. yeah. You know, so we're talking straight lines and a lock stitch. And then mm. suddenly we've got cover stitch and um, you, you've got the overlocker. Oh, yeah. got you know, mush was used on the overlocker. But they've really risen to the challenge and I'm very proud of them. And Anne Wynne still bakes the cakes, She's
0: oh. a very naughty lady. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you split the work between the London factory and the factory in Wales now? Do they make a different product out there?
1: Yes, so they're very good on woven. So we've, we've picked up lots of little accounts in Wales, such as Risden and Riston, which is a lovely um, homeware uh, online um, brand and, and, you know, just very down-to-earth lovely ladies. So we're making aprons there, um, oven gloves. And then we we're in quite deep discussions with Dunelm um, to do a homeware range with them as well. Uh, We had a fleeting conversation with Tesco, which I'm disappointed because I think we would would have been good with Tesco's and we're a live account with Tesco's. So if anyone's listening from Tesco's, I'm really disappointed we couldn't get that off the ground because it would have been ideal. And then we had a great conversation with Fiona Lambert recently who came to the London Factory. And um, I I think we're we're hopeful that we'll open an account with them and that will be great for Wales. Yeah. So, you know, we've now got... I, I sort of look at uh, Wales and think, yeah, they're definitely more woven orientated. Um, whereas in London, we're still um, powering out the jerseys and the scubas. And it's great that we're coming out of lockdown because now God going out dresses is beginning to pick up again. So that's yeah. good news. Um, and also, we created within this time Bee of London. So you've got a website, com, And we've taken. Um, I did. we've taken inspiration of our bestsellers and created our own and we're doing really well on bridesmaids dresses like, at really the moment
0: well. so we're, yeah? at the time of recording this april 2021 there's we're still there's still not big weddings on is there i mean how many people No, you know? but
1: i think we're getting um certain dresses that are very bodycon and hmm. the, and people are ordering six at a time, so it must be weddings, and the different sizes as well. Um, so I think you know we're, you're up to thirty people now, aren't you, for occasions? Yeah. So I think uh, they've got their bridesmaids, and, and I'm, like, I'm really pleased actually for Beth, who's our, our head of creative, because uh, she's long wanted to do her own range. So that that's each each week that gets better so hmm. but it's taken us 15 years to get a brand off the ground i, I mean, know and, years.
0: and a lot of a lot of manufacturers i speak to because they do a lot all contract work particularly in the uk a lot of cmt factories and they see brands like private white who were originally a factory weren't they cooper and style brand setting up yeah. their own brand and they think, hey, I'm gonna set up my own brand. It's much easier. We sell direct to the consumer. We're gonna make a much better margin than doing all the contract work. And of course, it's a totally different oh. ball game, isn't it? It's doing direct to consumer. It's all about the marketing.
1: It is. And it, you know, everyone says, Oh, it's about the brand, and it's about positioning of the brand and it's having consistency of voice. And it's it's very easy to say those words. It's so much harder to do it. Yeah. You know, it is I mean, we've wasted so much money over the years trying to get a brand off the ground. And actually, we we didn't even launch Be of London on our own platform. We went straight onto Silk Fred, Mm. who I have to say has been brilliant. Mm. Um, And then that gave us the confidence that we knew that the product was right. And you know, even the model, the way she stands and the makeup and the hair and the shoes, you all think it's so easy, but actually it's as I said, 15 years, and I'm an ex-senior buyer, I'm ashamed (laughs) of myself.
0: (laughs) So what was the thing that turned the corner that's seen a a bigger success with it recently with your B of London?
1: I I think um, it's been very specific on product, so we didn't deviate from what our handwriting was, which is going out dresses and, you know, occasion wear and... Quite some of the garments are in slinky and they're very body hugging. I can't think of anything worse than than me sort of wearing one of those dresses, but it certainly isn't about me at all. Um, it's about the I don't even think it's age specific, but it's somebody that wants to go out and have a good time but appreciates that it's ethically made and it's um like the internals are as well as uh, look, look as good as the externals on there. And I just think it's about that going out and and looking good and feeling great. It's giving confidence to to body shapes.
0: So it was about finding, knowing exactly with laser focus, who your target customer was for that brand in the end.
1: It was, and it sounds so easy, Kate, doesn't it? It But you've got to test, haven't you? You have
0: to keep testing, (gasps) seeing what sells, talking to the customers, finding out why they like it. And you've got so many other things going on.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but I think Jenny Sutton. I mean, Jenny Sutton's the development director. I mean, she she was a paid intern when we started the company, and um, she's she's she she was on maternity leave when we launched, and I, I really wanted to compensate her and say thank you, and I wanted her to have a good year off and you know have paid maternity, etc. And I really missed her not being in the company because she, she you know she's been here as long as I have, mm. and, and she's much younger than I am and much more attractive than I am and so she she gets you know the product and it's great that I can sort of walk away from that and just leave it with the team and say you know you're doing a great job well done and um I, I just think we're nothing without our, the entire team yeah. you know all the way through from administration and my poor son, Callum, is working here now. So, God, imagine Brilliant. that working with your Brilliant. family
0: business. Fantastic. How did you manage to entice him into the business and what, what role is he doing? Is he starting at the bottom? Is he cleaning the toilets?
1: Oh, he's sunny is at the bottom and he's been doing loads of jobs. I mean, he, um, he took over the PPE contract with Private White um, and it was such a big contract. And, and we knew that we had to put somebody on that was probably, you know, uh, could use common sense. I mean, he's, he's like his father, so he's, he's very practical. And he's also very good on spreadsheets. <laughs> <And> he's, <laughs> on spreadsheets but he's very good at that. So he just took over that contract and made it work and got a really nice relationship going with Mike and um, a lovely lady called Kasia. Kasia um and now um he's sort of working on any new projects that come our way he's like the go-to guy and you know he's very diverse he's he's, he's making sure that B of London works and Bells of London which is more bespoke now um, you know we, we had to joke for a while that he was junior CEO but you know there's a hell of a long way to go before um you, you understand how businesses work I don't think I know myself yes
0: especially <laughs> one as complex as yours because you said you've got a shop now as well Yes, yeah, so we have a place. shop on
1: Fontill Road, thanks to Islington Council. And we've, we've dabbled with retail for a long time. So when I worked for the London Development Agency, we had a shop in uh, Blue Water. And I, I don't it's, it's going back to doing and talking, isn't it? So there's all this talk about mentoring and workshops and everything else. But at the end of the day, designers have three core issues. One is always finance. One is sales and one is production. And and that's Mm. what it is. And it doesn't matter where they are on their life cycle for the business. Um, Those are the three problems. So rather than talking about, oh, this is how shops work, we opened a shop in Blue Water. um, And this was back in 2004. And it was turning over 36K then in Blue Water. So that was a lifeline for the young designers. And we found, I mean, obviously we've had the pandemic, but we, we opened, we had a really good Saturday. We only opened on Wednesday last week. And I think it's really innovative of Islington Council to come up with affordable workspace at Andover. So we're going to have 12 units. And right in the centre, it's a disused car park. So where the, the cars used to be parked left and right, they're now going to have sort of glass partitions down. And then in the centre, we've set up a mini factory. So we'll be able to encourage designers to make on site, do qualifications on site so skills and then they can sell in the shop. I mean, how fantastic is that yes. for designers? I'm dead impressed with that. And, you know, being in the industry, the best part of 40 years now, we've never worked on an, such an innovative pro- project as that. So um, I, I've got big expectations on that. So big, Jenny Sutton's going to be based in the new space. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll really uh,
0: ramp that up uh, mm. next year. That's really exciting. Fontill Road, did you say, in his N1?
1: Yeah, so on I the can N1. remember being um, a selector at m and and going down Fontill Road years ago because it was like the mecca of the fashion industry. It's where all the cabbage used to be sold and you could pick up a bargain and see the latest styles. And, you know, it, it isn't like that anymore. But there are still some excellent wholesalers on that road, and we're providing alterations and repair service. So, if somebody sells our wedding dress on Hill Road, they can come into us and get it altered. And and that's actually a really good um, a complement to, to the rest of the uh, the, the shops on Fontill. And it's and it's it helps you get the community going.
0: Mm. Yeah, definitely. Community is so important now. I think that is one big thing that everyone's learned out of the pandemic is how important it is to sort of work, collaborate with people, especially those that are local. So let's move on to Leicester. Then we've talked about London and Wales. Tell me about the project you've got going on in Leicester, as much as you can say at this stage, because that sounds really exciting. It is
1: exciting, you know. I would say that it's one of it's going to be a challenging project. But I've known um, a great guy called Peter Chandler and Sue Tilly, Oh, I'd say for at least sort of eight years. And um, whatever we may say about business and projects, it is about relationships. And they've always yeah. been incredibly positive. You know, we've. We've gone for a couple of bids and not been successful. And that's the way the cookie crumb balls. But we've always had a bit of a soft spot. And I'm from the Midlands anyway, originally. So I've, I've always thought that Leicester is almost the key to success within yeah. the garment manufacturing industry. And I've met quite a few um, factory owners. And actually, the ones I've come across, to me, just work so hard for so little. Um, and they, they've got the skills and for the life of me, because I've been on both sides of the fence, I cannot understand why retailers don't invest more in their supply chain. I mean, I know, to me, it's criminal. I know. It's
0: me too. absolute
1: criminal. Exactly how I, I, I feel.
0: It. No.
1: And I think it, there's a lack of knowledge about what a factory does. I certainly, I'm ashamed at my lack of education. Being a senior buyer and I think back to the ridiculous requests, like take a pocket off. Can I have it for one pound fifty less now? I mean, it's just just ridiculous. So I think there is a lack a lack of knowledge and understanding about how factories work, and the skill base. But you know, a good factory is the difference between success and failure. And I yeah. think Boohoo, in the past, using the factories in Leicester, you know, it, it sort of it did make the brand because of that fast track supply. And having um, prices that who knows if they were affordable or not, but certainly I think Leicester was the backbone of Boohoo, and I think credit actually to Boohoo opening their own factory. Um, I think that is um, a great step forward. Is that so, definitely so,
0: going ahead though? I are you is it definitely happening you know,
1: popular rumor has it I mean I, I don't know personally but I'm under the impression that they're going to open up their own factory and I just think that's actually amazing mm. I mean D- Dunelm is in my book I, I didn't know much about Dunelm but there's Chris McHugh there and Paul Rice and these are two you know absolute top banana men that know what they're doing and you know, when you find out that they can take an order from their shop and turn it around within two to three days, my God, th- that is just fantastic. And why are retailers seeing that advantage? Everyone <sighs> talks about Intertex and having their supply base local to where they are. And we've been so slow on the uptake in the UK.
0: Do you not think we're further ahead in homeware manufacturing? Because Dunelm, it's, it's all soft furnishings isn't it and i know as well companies like hsl chairs where guy critchlow is now heading it up now where they make all of their chairs up in in yorkshire so there's a lot of the home business that understands the value of making locally but not so much in clothing it's got to be down to how how heavily price driven clothing has become over the last few years very heavily price driven centered around five pound address three pound address it's like how low can you go
1: Yeah. And I think this race to the bottom of the glass has been absolutely horrendous. But I don't think the retailers understand that if you keep that factory fully busy all of the time, you can achieve amazing economies. And we we everyone talks about, you know, not taking um, a garment at below cost price and buying in business, uh, which Lester has been accused of well we've done it we have done it we've had to do it because i'd rather have a contribution to overheads than i would do to send in all my stuff home mm. and what you have to almost do is there are times when you know in that low dip that you take that view and then as you get busier like now um april may june july we will be flat out you know we'll be working um Saturday mornings again, and we'll have four factories that will be virtually at full capacity. Amazing. But it, well, it is, but but you know, it's so stressful. There, yeah. it's so stressful because things go wrong in factories. The fabric's late. You know, do, we'll have holidays. We'll have some of our ladies go back to Romania, Bulgaria, and they'll say, oh, I'll, I'll see you next week," and they'll be back three weeks later. You know, and. Now, there's always something, but if you've got a proper relationship with your retailer, you should be able to weather that storm. And, I mean, you know this from your buying days, you always need black T-shirts, you always need black le- leggings. So why not make something that is, is a flow or a stock item to yeah. keep that factory going? So I think um, I think there will be a major awareness going forward of how vital manufacturing is. For, for
0: retailers i hope so i really do i you know brexit has certainly brought all of the retailers out of the woodwork in terms mm. of you know i need a uk manufacturer i think the where it works is where you've got someone who's at the top who totally understands the value of manufacturing yeah. locally yeah i can see if- that exit margin rather than think about just the intake margin
1: and I'd like to think as well that that will filter down to the buyers and the assisted yeah. buyers because it's it's not just about price, as you say. It's about having the product sell out at full price, and that's the most important thing of everything. And I also think that manufacturers themselves have not helped themselves, have they? I mean, when when they have done the dirty tricks of paying people three pounds, five pounds an hour. The, the industry needs to be cleaned up, and I think the AGMPPP and the GLAA, the Gangmasters Labour Abuse Authority, you know, they've, they've got hard jobs to do, and I would be naive if I said that everybody in Lester or Manchester or London, you know, they're all ethical factories because we know that they weren't. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've had those people that have lined their pockets at the expense of others, but actually that's no difference from hospitality or construction. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's very that's true. Good. It happens in all industries. Yeah. It really Somehow it, it makes sexier journalism if they can have a story which is about clothing and dresses and, you know, rather than, oh, here's a here's another builder that built a dodgy house. I mean, <laughs> everyone kind of expects it of the construction trade. But for, for some reason with the fashion trade, it, yeah, it just makes much more interesting um, reading, doesn't it, in the newspapers. So they love it. Yeah. So. Have- oh, sorry, carry on. So, with the, the the Leicester project, then how is it going to work? How much? Where do you think you can get to, and what's your sort of timescale for it to actually sort of have um, this manufacturing base in Leicester up and running?
1: Well, we we won't open manufacturing because I don't want to go into any competition with the factories up there. They won't trust us if we have our own factory. So I've said all along this this is much more about the Fashion Technology Academy, and we will work to upskill them, we will work to um, bring in a new generation, we'll work closely with the DWP and the Job Centre Plus. And we want to um, clean up the industry and certainly uh, people like Peter, Councillor Adam Clarke, now that is their remit as well. They really want to see um, a heritage place for garment manufacturing that has, has got deep roots. And I think because we've got a leading status in the fast forward audit, we know how to get there. So I think we've got two aims, but they're they're educational. One is that um, qualification attainment from level one through to level five, working with apprenticeships. We're already talking to Don Elm about sort of five to 10 apprenticeships in sewing. And then the other side is to work with the the factories and the retailers and, and almost connect the two together. So, being in Leicester means that we will spot check. You know, if we if we recommend somebody uh, as a a CMT unit or a manufacturer, we will do our own spot checks. You know, and, and however expensive that may be, you know, I, I sort of go back to what my dad always said to me, and, and my dad always said, uh, if you haven't got any, if you haven't got your word in life, you've got nothing. So I try really really hard never ever to lie and, and I wouldn't say I lie I may exaggerate occasionally but I, I don't <laughs> openly lie yeah and I also clash with people not because I'm being obnoxious or um, antagonistic but because I really if I don't believe something I'm not going to do it and I'm not going to say it for politics either and when I was in sort of those very large organizations uh, previously there's always politics
0: yeah, and gosh. I vowed
1: I mean you know that case. yeah oh, that's why I'm, I had
0: it, to get out as well
1: <laughs> oh, <God>. uh, <laughs> I used to sit in meetings and I used to almost flush because I used to think oh my god this is I should be saying something but I'd, I'd have daggers from my manager like keep your mouth closed and I used to think I'm going to spontaneously human combust because I, I just <laughs> can't do this I can't and, and that's I, what I, I did
0: I definitely combusted the day I handed in my notice. It wasn't even thought about. I thought, right, so I've had enough. And I stormed into my boss's office and went, that's it, I'm leaving. I, yeah. did, I came home that night from work and said to my husband, just handed my notice in at Debenhams. You've what? How are we gonna pay the mortgage? I mean that's the problem, is it? But didn't you feel good, case? Didn't you yeah, feel and and good? I haven't that once looked back actually yeah. ever and thought, no matter how what everything's thrown at everyone in the last few years, particularly with the pandemic. I just always think, at least I'm not working for one of those big retailers anymore.
1: And isn't it and a shame the that it, it was like that, actually? I mean, I think politics is inevitable anywhere, but I, I And I don't think we're mavericks as such. But I think that life's so, so precious. You, you've got to be honest to yourself. And I say to our staff here, you've got to keep your spirit level, level. And I I actually like to be challenged. I I like people to say, well, I don't think I agree with that. What about X, Y, and Z? And, you know, if I think it's a good idea, I'll say. And if I don't, I'll I'll say equally. But that's why we don't have this huge – we we don't have big structures. We're very, very flat. And we've got WhatsApp groups. And, you know, we're great ones for T and K where we'll make a decision. (laughs) We'll just – and sometimes we don't even know what we're doing (laughs) <laughs> just like, oh, we just think that's a really good idea Let, let's just go for it so um yeah I, I think we've got interesting times ahead but exciting times
0: definitely. so what are your plans for the future then for across your business where 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 are the big changes going to happen in uk garment manufacturing do you think in the next five to ten years well i'd like to talk
1: professionally and personally so if i talk professionally first oh. of all um I absolutely am convinced that there will be is it woke? There will be a woke of what garment manufacturing is all about. There will be a real awareness of my God, you know, if we're going to look at AI, investment in machinery, um, you know, if if there's going to be vertical integration backwards, so you're looking at fabric supplies, as well as fulfillment from factories. Now the factory has space, it has um, skilled resources, and semi-skilled resources. So that means they can do lots of different jobs. And another saying here is no job's too small, no job's too big. Uh, that's why you often see me watering the plants outside on a sunny day. <laughs> but, you know, it, that that's the philosophy. And I think that when retailers realise that we're going towards mass customisation, that we, the, the consumer has changed radically from the Ultressa blouse at Marks & Spencer's, where we had 50,000 dozen. Yeah. Can you believe that? 50,000 dozen of a polyester blouse, which was collar revere, five-button, short-sleeve and long-sleeve, and it would be plain, and then we you know we threw the boat out and made it into print. Those days are so, so long gone. And, you know, you're now talking about batch production, which is probably five to 800... Um, and we have clients that want 150 and 200 mm-hmm. so we have to be flexible and snooze you lose so we can't start saying no to, to the changes that are right for sustainability and waste as well
0: exactly so- yeah because i mean all those when you, we used to buy those tens of thousands of garments reminisce all those products let's not kid ourselves that a lot of it did end up in the sale and in landfill and encourage people to buy too much stuff that they didn't need
1: well, actually, I reckon that flaming old Tressa blouse is still alive today. <laughs> it, was, it was bomb-proof. <laughs> it was absolutely indestructible. It was amazing. Was it the
0: one that was from the polyester fabric from Torre? In yes. Nocic? Was it Torre fabric, Certainly I think, was. wasn't it? Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I think actually Cortals made it as well. It was such a huge fabric that everybody started then making it. Um, so, you know, th- those are those are long, long gone days. Um <laughs> And I, I think that we as a company will move towards fabrications. Um, uh, we'll, we were bidding for something uh, with the MTC in Coventry for smart factories. So I would like to get to a point, and I don't want to get rid of the skilled labour force at all, but I'd like to get to a point where we print our own fabric. And it could be one meter or three thousand meters. That it automatically is cut out. Um, we're working um, on, on the concept that you print into a pattern piece, and then the pattern piece gets cut out. And at the end of the table, we will have teams of two, uh, lock stitch and cover stitch, and um, overlock. And then they will make the garment, and it will go off to then the cover seam ladies. And we will then send out those garments from here.
0: So so totally made to order for the customer in a tiny little micro team within a much bigger factory.
1: Yeah, and I think we'll have lots of micro teams. Mm. And and that's the beauty of skilled workforce. So the ladies that we have, they're all multi-skilled. They're they're universal workers. So I bless my lucky stars that we've we've got, you know, the best part of 200 staff that's got that availability. And what we need is a real... um, Step change with the consumer. Now, wouldn't it be great to bring the consumer into this environment so they can see what ethical manufacturing looks like? You know, so I think that's a very, very exciting stage professionally. And on top of that, we will carry on doing our work with the young designers. Um, and then I talked about uh, personally, um, we, we changed, well, we upgraded the memorandum and articles of association for the company because. I, I don't feel as though we do enough for social enterprise. I mean, the, the factory side has absolutely covered the FTA for the last couple of years. And we, we will give out free fabric to those that need it and um, we'll give free courses to people. And I think when you see somebody that comes into your learning environment that is without hope, you know, that they are depressed and they've had so many curveballs, they are battered. And then you give them a six weeks course where they are concentrating. I, th- I think a lot of mental health issues is over analytical of the past and fear of the future. But if, if people can work on a day-to-day basis and they have that little four letter word hope, then you can you can change people's lives. and And that is the most rewarding part of my job. So we're not that far away for opening up um, a foundation whereby um, we can help a lot more people with mental health issues. And I think COVID in particular has really highlighted the benefits of blue sky and green grass, which I've always believed in. And I think things like growing plants and Mm -hmm. cultivating and, and selling eggs from free range hens that were battery hens before now, I think there's a lot more that can be achieved. And it's not about money, Case God, if it's about money, I would never have done this job. <laughs> it, it's, it's not yeah. about money. It's about leaving something that's more of a legacy behind, knowing that you did the best you can for as
0: long as you could. Brilliant. Love it. So on that note, then, last question I want to ask you is, which other UK manufacturer or UK-made brand do you really admire? Oh, I'd
1: have to say Private Wife, um, because I just know James, the rest of the team, what they stand for, their ethics. Um, I'm also very close to a lady called Karen Downey, and she's the ex bine director of ASOS. And she's done a brand as well, Lemonade Dolls. And, um, you know, in, this, in these days of gloom, she's created um, a lingerie brand, and it's just fun. It's really fun and she's doing really well and I'm so delighted for her. Um, and she does some of the, some manufacturing in the UK, uh, but she's, she's gone offshore as well. And I, I just look at those kind of brands and I just think there's so much opportunity still. Uh, I, I, I think all the big retailers are going to have a run for their money with localised sourcing and young brands coming through. Uh, at, at what point do they become a, a significant threat? Yeah. Um, so, so I think the horizon is one of constant change at the moment, for sure.
0: So, Jenny, is there any anything else you'd like to finish up with before before we say goodbye today?
1: I'd like to say a big thank you to um, all the staff that have been absolutely exceptional, and obviously clients that have remained so loyal um, to us. I mean, we, we, without ASOS, um, the new accounts like M Brown, I saw it at first. We would not be here today. You know, COVID was awful. And I just think that for everybody out there, how everybody has been, you know, that the sun is shining, we'll find new ways of coping for the future. And I think we all need to support government manufacturing as long as we can for, for the good of the economy, because it is actually the most amazing industry to be in.
0: Yeah. And I think that's what people forget is that everything that you buy that's made in the UK, well, certainly Boris and his crew forget it, that it, you know, they forget that it, it's it's kept someone in a job in the UK. If the, yeah. all the product that you've been making, all those people that you've employed over the last 10 years, you know how many how many people is that and how much how much money what's your you know salary bill been for those people for the last 10 years that's all money that's gone straight back into employing people locally so keep up the great work jenny you too you're an
1: inspiration
0: thank you for all you do Thank you for listening to this episode of the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there are bonus episodes occasionally. So make sure you subscribe in your favourite podcast app. And if you're looking to find British-made brands or UK manufacturers, check out the directory on the Make It British website, which you can find at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash directory. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.